Tim, and uh, again, so glad that you're here uh, this morning. Uh, we are beginning a series this morning entitled Counterculture. Counterculture. And uh, we're going to talk about what it means to live counter to the culture uh, that we all live in. And so I want to begin with a question uh, for you. Have you ever felt out of place? Have you ever been in a place where you felt like uh, you didn't belong? You walked into a room, uh, maybe a party or just a social gathering, and you feel like, you know, I don't fit into this club. I don't belong to this circle. These are not my people. You know, trying to find your place, wondering where you fit. Uh, Wherever two or three are gathered, um, there is going to be someone wondering if they belong. I mean, that's pretty much human nature. Now, there's a sense uh, that that feeling ought to be true of every Jesus follower. If you're a Jesus follower, there ought to be times in your life where you feel like, you know what, this this is not my area. This is not my region. This is not my uh, social circle. Uh, A couple of things I want to say about this. You find yourself in a group of non-Jesus followers, and whether it's a, you know, a work environment or a family gathering or a neighborhood party or, or what, whatever it is, uh, you're in this gathering and someone eventually is going to say something or do something, something you know, political or racial or something to do with religion or the Bible or whatever. And it's going to make you, the comments, uh, the conversation is going to make you somewhat uncomfortable. It's going to feel somewhat awkward. Maybe they know, maybe they don't know. It doesn't really matter. But you know, your salt and light... And as being salt and light in that environment, it creates a reaction. It creates some kind of a feeling. It's not always positive. It's going to make you feel like you don't belong, that you don't fit in. Have you ever felt that way? And yet at the same time, there ought to be a sense of purpose, that this is exactly where God wants you to be. There ought to be a sense of interest and engagement and an underlying compassion and a relational pursuit in that environment fueled by the gospel of which you embrace. In this world, not of this world, uh, is usually how uh, we say it. I may not fit in, but this is exactly where I belong. Now, friends, Jesus had this incredible knack, this kind of divine capacity, capability of feeling at home, even in the homes where people didn't want him uh, in the house. He was able to talk with people who didn't agree with him. He was able uh, to attract those uh, who didn't want to listen to him, who wanted to argue with him. That's why, friends, that's why gatherings like this are so important to us, that we need to regather every week to remind ourselves, number one, that there is a place we belong, and it's called the church. And this gathering reminds us that we are not alone, and that we are not crazy, (laughs) and that that what we believe is, in fact, true. And then out of this gathering, the church launches us into the world to be salt and light, to be the influencers and the impactors of our culture, to infiltrate our world with the gospel, offering the way of Jesus that is counter to the culture. Friends, the way of Jesus is upside down and inside out, right? I mean, a kingdom uh, where weakness is power. And power is weakness where suffering leads to glory, where residents of that kingdom find life by dying to themselves, find wealth in their generosity, who experience joy in their suffering, a place where enemies are loved and the lonely are befriended and strangers are protected and the disadvantaged are advocated for. Why? Because this, this is the place, this is, this is where the first 
are last and the greatest among us are servants of all. That's the thing about Jesus. The closer you get to him, the more he messes with your mind, the more he disrupts your values, and the more he challenges the way that you live. Jesus was revolutionary. He taught what he taught was antithetical to the values of this world. How he lived contradicted everything the world deemed important. He challenged the cultural norms. He exposed the brokenness of the system. He offered a new way that was extremely hard and yet overwhelmingly compelling. And as with Jesus, so with his followers. So for the next uh, couple of weeks, several weeks, we are going to be talking about what it means to be Jesus followers in the world in which we find ourselves. How do we live in the gospel? How do we live counter to the culture we find ourselves in? What do we do when we find ourselves not feeling like we actually belong and yet knowing that this is exactly where we belong? How do we as Jesus followers think about the issues of our day and how do we apply the values of the kingdom to the challenges that we face? And more than anything, how do we live out salt and light in a culture so desperate in need of healing? I don't know if you've noticed that, but I think our culture is a little broken these days. So if you have a Bible or a device, find Philippians chapter 2. We're going to look at this passage, verses 14 through 16 in Philippians chapter 2, and I'm going to lay out the groundwork for this counter-cultural discipleship. Uh, Salt and light, salt and light. We are salt and light as Jesus followers. Salt and light infiltrates, it influences, it impacts the environment around itself. We are salt and light, which means we disseminate truth and grace We are designed to change things for the better. If you've ever said, this could use a little salt, you know what I mean, right? Or if if you've ever tried to make your way through a dark room, you know what I mean. Salt and light creates change for the better. And so in the same sermon where Jesus calls us salt and light, he also taught us to go to the second mile, to turn the other cheek, to bless those who curse you, to forgive those who hurt you. Radical, upside-down, counter-cultural engagement. And so these verses in Philippians chapter 2 describe what I believe the kingdom citizen looks like, what it looks like to be salt and light, to be a a Jesus follower in our culture. And one of the things that uh, uh, I was in my research or preparation, I found an author by the name of Leslie Newbegin, who was a Christian author and philosopher way back in the previous century, that seems like so long ago, right? In the previous century. And uh, uh, he, he wrote this. Uh, he says, as our culture becomes more and more secularized, uh, that is, the more we take God out of our public discourse and remove him from our institutions and relegate him to simply Sunday morning religious fanatics, which are you people, uh, that religion as an idea or practice will not go away, but that void left from faith in God will be replaced by faith in politics. I don't know if you agree with that, but take all of the energy once focused on God, the Bible, and the church, the longing for a better life, the hope for a better future, what it requires to make a better world, And now redirect all of that energy to the political party of your choice. And what will happen is a religious war between right and left, liberal and conservative. I I don't know. Maybe that's happening today. Maybe you agree. 
And so uh, let, let me encourage all of us that while we live and move and have our being on this earth, we belong to a kingdom not of this world. But while we belong to that kingdom, we are still called to be salt and light, eternal agents of hope and change. Heard that phrase before? Hope and change. Not a bad concept as long as you're drawing from the right source. So what does Paul say to us about being salt and light? Let's look at Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to start with the verse 14. He, he begins by saying, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Now, but most of us are already out. Okay. Uh, <laughs> friends, we live in an age of outrage. We live in an angry culture where people are just, they're just talking over each other, somehow convinced that the louder they are, the righter they are. <laughs> A recent survey indicated that 22% of Americans self-describe as angry. One out of every four of us admit that we're mad. So how many more are in denial? Okay, so everybody is mad about something, and a lot of us are mad about everything. And we get madder easier in today's culture. We stay mad longer in this culture. Just this past week, this is incredible. Um, I heard this on the news. The news reported a woman who was arrested for getting into a fight at Home Depot over mask wearing. Okay. Um, one woman wearing a mask got into it with another woman wearing a mask because that woman took off her mask to criticize another woman who was not wearing a mask. Are you following me? Did you, did you get that? The woman wearing the mask intended to get into it with the woman who disagreed with her about wearing the mask, but ended up getting into it with the woman who agreed with her about wearing the mask, but criticized her for removing her mask so she could criticize the woman not wearing the mask. By the time the scuffle was over, no one was wearing a mask. <laughs> James Hogan wrote a book entitled, I'm Right and You're an Idiot. <laughs> and he says, the most pressing problem we face today is not climate change. It is pollution in our public square. Where a toxic smug, smog of ad adversarial rhetoric, propaganda, and polarization stifles discussion and debate, creating resistance to change and thwarting our ability to solve our collective problems. I don't know if he ever read the book of James, but Jesus advised us once to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. He goes on, so that, verse 15, so that you may become blameless and pure, blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Blameless and pure. I'm going to step on a nerve. Okay, don't clue me out. Don't, don't shut me out. Don't turn off your TV. Um, but have you ever put something on social media that you instantly regretted? The distance between the keyboard and the send button is very short. <laughs> and it is very permanent. And in our culture, characterized by anger and division, uh, as citizens of the kingdom... In a culture of rudeness and disrespect and hopelessness, we are called to live in stark contrast to the warped and crooked generation by being salt and light, blameless and pure. 
children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. In Ephesians 6, we are encouraged to put on the full armor of God and to take our stand, to take our stand. Say the word stand, stand. We are called to stand. So in this passage of Philippians 2, Paul indicates three ways in which followers of Jesus, salt and light in a warped and crooked generation are to stand, okay? How are we to stand? Well, the first way to stand is to stand down, Stand down. Now, it's not uncommon uh, in the midst of battle for a general to command his men uh, to stand down. Why would an army commissioned to win stand down in the face of opposition? Well, uh, Solomon in Ecclesiastes said there's a time for everything. Okay, so there's a time to laugh, there's a time to cry, there's a time to sow, there's a time to reap couples, men, there's a time to speak and, and time to listen Guys, how many times have you gotten that wrong? <laughs> uh, Paul says, Paul says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Now, in our culture, uh, we often wonder how can we get our voices heard if we're not elevating our voices, you know? If we're not, yeah. well, I'll ask it this way. How many of you know a TV yeller? You're not a TV yeller, but do you know anybody that's a TV yeller? You know, that, that just, how does that help? <laughs> we live in a world that does not know how to listen. Because we are being told, do to others before they do to you. When they punch, punch back harder. And so, yes, we belong to a kingdom that's upside down, that's counter in, counterintuitive. It's just not humanly practical to turn the other cheek and go the second mile. Uh, and yet, and I've made this point before in other sermons, you read the Gospels and you find that Jesus posed far more questions than he answered. Did you know that? In fact, in many cases, he would respond with a question when, when presented with a question. I, the word that became flesh, full of grace and truth, full of grace and truth, was just as interested in listening to you as he was in speaking to you. And I wonder, just maybe, I, I, uh, people, maybe people were more interested in what he had to say because they knew he was interested in what they had to say. Maybe one of the reasons why Jesus was so compelling was not just the wisdom of his words, but the wisdom of his restraint, his willingness to listen. Friends, as image bearers of God, we are commanded by God to respect those who bear his image, not to agree with everyone, but yet not to dismiss anyone, to seek to understand before we seek to be understood. And I get this. I mean, it's really hard to fight this because when, I, you, know, when you feel like you're in an environment that is so antithetical to what you know to be true, it's so easy to allow uh, the vitriolic discourse to drag us down to the level of disrespect, simply wanting to win the argument rather than influencing and impacting a soul. To have a spirit-guided discernment to know when to listen and when to speak. So the, so the first stance Paul is talking about here is simply to stand down, which in turn enables us then to number two, stand out. Stand out. In verse 15, it says, 
so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky, that you will shine you will shine, that you will stand out. I love the passage in Romans chapter 12 out of the message paraphrase that reads like this. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Ed Stetzer uh, uh, wrote a book entitled Christians in the Age of Outrage, and he makes the charge that far too many Christians, uh, far too many Christians are being discipled by their Facebook feeds and cable news choices rather than the word of God and the way of Jesus. Now that's too convicting, but uh, I didn't like reading that for myself. Seriously, how, how much time do we spend listening to pundits and opinionators? rather than the word of God and the way of Jesus. Jesus once said that a disciple fully trained would look like his master, that would look, look like Jesus. So as a Jesus follower, what do, we, what do we look like? Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 says, As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. If I were to ask people who know you well, what are you most known for? What words best describe your character? Would these be descriptors on your list? I kind of like this question. I would like to aspire to this list. That when my name came up in a conversation, people would say, yeah, that's him. That's Pastor Tim. He's a kind, humble, patient person. As salt and light, I'm supposed to be attractive. I'm supposed to be tasty. I'm supposed to be uh, influential. I'm supposed to have impact. I'm supposed to perk attention. The life and teachings of Jesus are supposed to be compelling. Jesus stood out, so I'm supposed to stand out. Even those who disagree with me, even those who adamantly oppose me, uh, I'm, what I say and how I live cannot be argued with. I stand down, I listen, and then I stand out with my character. And here's the third thing which enables me then to stand up. To stand up. There's a time for everything. There's, there's a time to stand down. There's a time to stand out. And then there is a time to stand up. Then you will shine like among them like stars in the sky as you holdly firm to the word of life. You've heard the phrase, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So knowing when to stand down and how to stand out gives credibility to the times you stand up. Jesus said in Matthew 24 that whoever stands firm to the end will be saved. So as salt and light, we are called to infiltrate and influence and impact our culture with the counterculture gospel of Jesus Christ. To stand up or to stand firm uh, seeks uh, to be diligent and bold and confident, to take the posture of truth with grace, not to be moved by the shifting waves of culture, but to be the stabilizing force in a world of hopelessness. Micah tells us to stand for mercy and justice. First Corinthians tells us to stand for the faith. James 1 tells us to stand against sin. First Peter 1 commands us to stand firm against the evil one. Ephesians 6 tells us to stand firm against the rulers of this age. We are, we are citizens of a different kingdom. We honor a different king. And so we stand for the king. And when the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of our Lord and Christ are in conflict, well, one, we are not surprised. And two, we are not unprepared to stand for truth and to stand 
with grace, to speak in such a way that makes Jesus compelling. We live and we love in such a way that makes Jesus attractive. We work in such a way that brings hope to the chaos and the confusion and the conflict of our world. So I I think this might be a pretty good time to pray. What do you think? (laughs) The last four months have been rather hard. And all the things that are added to our experience has compelled us in much deeper ways to seek the Lord and to ask him, what would you have us do as salt and light in a culture that is so adamantly opposed to truth and grace? How can we, given the place where God has put us, shine like stars as we hold firmly the word of life? Would you pray with me? Father, we are so grateful that you have us in this time. As difficult as it is, and as confusing as it is, as challenging as it is, we know this is, you have placed us in this place for such a time as this. And so, Father, as we feel like we don't fit in, we know exactly where we belong. And so we would, we would ask that the power of your Spirit so indwell us, that we would influence and impact those relationships, those conversations, those areas uh, where you've placed us to be salt and light, to be a redeeming uh, aspect in our culture, uh, that we would take on the mission to live counter uh, to the values of this world and that speak life and truth into that world as we look to you to be the redeemer and repurpose of our, of our lives. Father, to that end we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.